This week, we again take a look at the generosity of the new Christians that had formed the church in the book of Acts. And we're going to be talking about our own generosity. Where does our motivation come from? And uh, how does this affect our view of our own money? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, August 17th, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, We are in the book of Acts. We're continuing in the book of Acts. We've been there this summer. We are going to be finishing up very soon. We'll for sure start a new series when we start Grow Groups, which is going to be in October, so you can look forward to that. So we're in the book of Acts, and uh, we're talking about some of the things that have affected the new church as it grew. So the new church is brand new, and we get to kind of look at it like a case study. And we can say, like, what has happened in this church as it grew from like 120 people to suddenly now we have 5,000 men in the church, it says in Acts chapter 4. That means we have a bunch more women and children. So this is a kind of an expansive, huge megachurch at this point. So it's kind of our own chance to look at, take a look at it. Today, though, um, I read about a pastor who said, whenever you preach about money, which we're doing, which is awesome because we have a number of guests and they're like, I told you, this is all they do at the church. Um, that is not all we do. We preach Jesus and money. So those are the two things that we do. And um, this happened to me a little bit. Has anyone ever been to Texas? Okay, and so I'm from Wisconsin. We have no idea. Texas is like a mysterious world. And in Wisconsin, you have your idea of the other people around the country, and you have all your stereotypes. And I know that's terrible, but we had our stereotypes. We drive across, we're on spring break. We drive across the border of Texas, and I have this vision of what a Texas woman looks like. Who do I see in the car next to me? This lady had hair that like touched the visor. She had the fingernails that were like this long and she had like this heavy makeup. I'm like, it's a Texas woman. (laughs) We never saw another woman like that the entire time. We drove through the entire state. We spent there a week. We never saw anyone like that, but in my mind, it confirmed that. So if you're thinking, okay, I came to church once and they just talk about money. I've just confirmed this for you. That's that's what we do. So, So this pastor though, he suggested that whenever you preach about money, you should pull out your wallet and hold your Bible in the same hand. So he would make you, if he was preaching, I'm not going to make you do this, he would make you pull out your wallet and hold your Bible in the same hand. And I think there's something to that, though, because if you talk about, like, the number one idol in our culture, what would you say? Now, now sex is a close second, I think. But I think money's number one, because money has the ability to fuel any other desire that we want. Like, if you want to look good, can you look better if you have money? Can you drive a nicer car? If, like, status is a big deal. Can you drive a nicer car if you have money? Can you, um, let's see, can you make your kids like you more in a sense that like you do fun things if you have money? Well, sure. Can you advance in your job with money? Yeah, so, so money, I think, is a big driver. In fact, Jesus warns us and says you cannot serve both God and the word he uses is mammon, which is kind of like stuff. You can't do it. So this pastor was saying, you need to hold the Bible in your wallet together because ultimately you're making a choice on a lot of levels, how you handle your money, and your scripture is going to fight against some of these thoughts. So we're in the book of Acts, and we have a case study again, and we're going to be looking at uh, the generosity of the believers, and then we see the opposite of it. In fact, it says now, but that could be translated but, which happens. When, when you have transitions like that in your life, you know like this is a different situation, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. So we're in Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles along, you can open them up. I added a verse. I was going to do just verse 32, but I added a verse. So after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's kind of important. And they spoke the word of God boldly. 
All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, this is the size of like a small town at this point. For, so, uh, for time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And now we have a specific person we're going to look at. This is a leader in the church. Does anyone know anything about Barnabas? Anything at all? I mean, He's from Cyprus. Okay, you guys know that. That's good. That's good. And his name means... Son of encouragement. Just for the record, who would not want to hang out with a guy who is so awesome that his nickname is the son of encouragement? You know, like son of thunder. Those are the other brothers, Boanerges, their disciples. I don't think I'd want to hang out with them. The son of encouragement would be the best. So we talked just last week about persecution and being a good friend. Uh, This is the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. So Joseph, his nickname is Barnabas, and many people believe he wrote a book in the New Testament. Does anyone know which book that is? The most well-written book as far as... um, literature goes, if you want to go from that perspective, in the whole Old New Testament. Book of Hebrews. A lot of people think he's the one. Some say it's Silas, but a lot of people say Barnabas. So, which means son of encouragement, and here's what he did. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. How in the world does someone go from looking at, like, what my money can give me to the point that they say, I want to give my money to somebody else? So that's what we're going to look at just this morning. We're going to take a look at, like, how does my heart change? Because the Holy Spirit isn't after your money, if you haven't figured that out. The Holy Spirit does not want your money. The Holy Spirit wants your heart. And one of the things that gets in the way of a heart that's devoted to God is money. So that's why we talk about it. So the Holy Spirit what is the key thing, as we're going to come back right in this verse. The Holy Spirit is a key thing because now you're going to change. Because in America, what you own or what you have really determines who you are. And maybe this has happened to you. I'll give you an example. Have you ever worked somewhere where they have, like, uh, you wear uniforms? Does has anyone worked somewhere? Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, so you've worked somewhere where they have uniforms, and then have you ever got to be friends with somebody? And you said, hey, let's go hang out after work sometime. And then they show up, you show up, and you're like, wow. I didn't expect you to kind of dress like that. Maybe, I mean, I'm not saying like full face paint or something like that, but I mean, they, they show up and they've got like the Bronco hat, the Bronco gear, the Bronco sweatpants, the Bronco shoes. It says like, go Bronx. And they've got like the Bronco, like a horse neighing or whatever it is for their horn, right? And you're like, wow, I, j- I didn't see that coming. You've gone and you hung out and you look one way and they look an entirely different way because that uniform makes it safe. So in America, you have the ability with the money you have to project who you want to be. So if you want to look really organized, you can use money and look really organized. If you want to look like you're really stylish, you can spend some money and look like that. So in America, what you have or what you own is who you are. Now, there's a couple things that fight against that too, and we find our status in other things. And we're not going to spend a lot of time just on this point. Could you find your status and your worth in your kids? Sure. Could you find your status or your worth in your job? Could you find it in your job title? Could you find it in your degrees or your education? Can you find it in your friends? I mean, you've met people like that. Could you find it in the people you know? You meet them and somehow they like name drop everybody and you're like, huh, they must find some value in the fact that they know really important people. What we're looking at here is a group of people that says, I'm not going to use my money 
to further my own status. I want to use my money to help other people. The only thing and the only one who can change that kind of heart is the Holy Spirit. So look what it says here. After they prayed, uh, the meeting place was shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a direct result. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become heart of one mind and one heart. So they, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and now suddenly they have this mission that says this is worthwhile. I guarantee if anyone has ever been generous, if you've been generous with anything, it's because you have a mission in mind. You don't just save for the sake of saving. And maybe, this, maybe you do. Maybe you're really good. But what happens to me, like Amy and I are getting ready to buy a house like in the next six months. That means we need money in the bank for the down payment, which means like as this money starts to grow, you know, like this little pile, it starts to grow. What happens like when you go to the store and you suddenly think, man, I've got cash, right? What happens when you go to Costco? <laughs> That's actually the end of the story, <laughs> right? right? No, like you buy a gun safe and you're like, what in the world did I, I don't know why. You look back on your stuff, your purchases from like six months ago, like why did I do that? Or you see this couch and you're like, oh, that couch would be awesome. And I can't believe I just used that sentence in a paragraph, like that couch would be awesome. But like, you have this money and you suddenly see these little things that have your attention and you think this would be really fantastic. What is the only thing that keeps you on track? This idea that we cannot buy a house unless we put money in the bank to do it. So if you find a church or you find an organization where people are generous to it, I guarantee they're of one mind and one heart because they have a certain sense of unity that says we got a collective goal. And let me tell you this, fact. A fact is, I don't know how to use the all capitals. Okay, fact. (laughs) This is a fact. (laughs) We're part of the greatest mission ever. I mean, do you think, like, collectively, we're not individuals trying to do our thing, but we're collectively, we're part of the only thing that Christ has established in this world, and that's a church. And we get to be the ones that say, I want to tell other people about Jesus. We get to be the ones who say, I'm going to use what we have, the resources that we have, so that more people can know that their sins are gone and they have a relationship with Jesus. And the key thing that comes at the end of this is this. You need an organization that says, we use money to love people. We don't use people because we love money. And if you get a mission that says we love people and that's how we're going to use our money, that's what we do. Because let's be real here. Can your family advance if you don't have money? We can't buy a house without money that I know of, right? I'm not aware of this. Um, But you can't do that, right? And if you own a business, can that business advance without money? And we got God behind us, but in reality, can we advance the church without money and reach more people without cash? I think we have to say no. I mean, I guess we could. We could just kind of hang out in the parking lot or something like that and then get kicked out for trespassing because there'd be another church here going like, why are you having church in our parking lot? But you, you can do it, but the fact is if we find a u- unity and we say this is what we're about and this is what our mission is, we are able to express our love. And I think that's very closely connected because I guarantee, again, not only are you going to be connected to a mission if you're generous with something, but you do not give a lot of money besides taxes to something that you love. Unless it's something you love. How many of you are generous with your kids? Because you love your kids, right? How many of you are generous with the Audubon Society? I'm not. I don't give any money to the, because it doesn't move me whatsoever. You know, I love birds and, and they're great, but I'm not moved enough to say I want to be really generous. My kids and I are not having sacrifices when the kids sit down, I mean, with a straight face to say, listen, kids, I know you could get clothes that fit, but daddy loves birds. You know, like, that's hard for me. But can I sit down with my kids and say, 
Can I sit down with them and say, listen, there's a lot of stuff we could do, but I think the mission of reaching people with Jesus is more important and involve them in the process? Can I say to my kids, you know, there's a lot of things we'd like to do during these next months, but we'd like to buy a house, so there's sacrifices we have to make as a family. That shows the love you have. And I'll give you an example. Have you ever met someone who says, I love my kids, I love my wife, they're the best, and you're like, cool. And then suddenly you go meet their wife and their kids? Now, just hypothetically, their wife drives like this beater car. I drive the beater car for the record. Um, so their wife drives this beater car, and like the kids have clothes that don't fit. And if you know kids that with clothes that don't fit, clothes are cheap. Buy the kids some clothes because school is hard enough as it is, much less with clothes that don't fit. But that's not the point. So their clothes don't fit. They don't have food in the refrigerator. And then you take a look, and they've got like this sweet truck like murdered out black wheels, like lifted, and you're like, that's a truck. You know, that's, that's a rig, actually. That's not even a truck. And it's got a bass boat, and it's got like one of these trailers, the toy hauler. I mean, at least they don't even hide it. And it, the back flips down, like Michael Knight in Knight Rider, right? And then can just back out their ATV, you know? And if they have all this stuff for themselves, do you start to question, do they love their family and their kids, or do they just love the idea of loving their family and their kids? And this is going to be a little bit pointed, and I think it points to my own heart as well. Are there times where we say, and we have to ask ourselves, do I love Jesus? And is my heart showing it with the way that I spend my money? Or do I just like the idea of loving Jesus? This guy would talk all day about how he loves his kids, right? But how do you know when someone really cares about their family, they look after them, and that's who they're generous with? This convicts me, and I'm sure at some level it convicts you. I'm not trying to guilt you, but I think you do have to ask, and, and no one likes to talk about money because it is, I mean, for everybody, your wallet's right here and the Bible is here, and it is so hard. It is so hard to, like, try and reconcile these two things because you say to yourself, and the Bible says, you have to make a choice that says, am I going to look at this like my money that I get to spend, or am I going to look at this like God's money that he has given me that I can be part of this amazing mission that he has asked us to be on? I don't know how this works. Um, did you read what it said? Barnabas sells his stuff, and then he lays at the apostles' feet. Would that be about the most awkward offering ever? Like, do they have, like, this Santa sack of coins, and then, he, like, they just drop it before it? Could you imagine if we just said, like, um, as a pastor, I'm like, please bring your offerings and lay them at my feet. Would this be... If, this is just rule for life as you look around at other churches and you visit and you go visit friends. If the pastor asks, acts like Smog the Dragon, you probably don't want to be at that church. So that's just a general rule. So we have this awkward thing where, just imagine this, this money comes forward and everyone recognizes Barnabas loves people and they distribute that. What does that tell you about the leadership and the trust that Barnabas had in the leadership? How many of you would just sell your, your property? Just imagine this, say it's $200,000. You would just sell it. People have given us cars. People have written checks for like $10,000, more than $10,000, and they trust that. But at the same time, I think there's a certain level of transparency that happens even in our own church. I realize this is pretty important. You can look up how much I make. I'll save you the trouble. It's like $45,000 or something. Plus, I looked it up because last time I said this, I didn't know how much it was. So, and you give me a house, which is really cool. So this is how much I make. You can do, it's like the parade of homes on Sunday. Have you guys ever got that edition? I love that one. When I was a kid, I'd look through, what do firefighters make? What, what do teachers make? Why doesn't my dad make what the other teachers make? You know, like, this is what, 
This is, it's a fascinating thing if you ever get that one. So there's transparency, right? You can look back at the four years we've been here and see how we spent every single penny. Do you know that? If you want to, you're welcome to. I have no interest to go back to the file folders that are all stacked up with receipts and things like that. You can see what we pay on rent. You can see what we pay any staff. You can see what we spend on stuff. You can see what we spend on donuts, which is probably too much. But we, spend, we, but we love you. We're generous with you. Like we, we don't get lousy uh, King Super donuts. We could save a lot of money. But we save souls and we save lives by getting Krispy Kreme donuts. That's what we do. So, so you can see how all that's spent. There's a certain level of transparency and you go, okay, I can trust that you're going to handle this. Now imagine doing that with like 200K. Do you have the same confidence as you would lay this? It's less dramatic if it's a check, but the check just gets laid right here and say, use it how you see fit. That takes some serious trust. And let me ask you this. Who is the last CFO of this organization that the disciples are involved in? The guy who betrayed the Lord, stole money, and murdered himself. And yet somehow they say, you know what? The mission of God is a big de- bigger deal than some of these roadblocks. Are you going to be frustrated with how we spend some money? You should be. If somehow we are all like robots and we said that that is the perfect use of money at this time, I mean, that would be really weird, right? But do you have a trust that says that we love people so we use our money to do that? Or do you have this idea, any kind of inkling whatsoever that says we love money and we're trying to use people? If you ever get that idea, you need to call us to account and say let's see where this money is spent and how it moves this mission. Case study number one. The second case study is way shorter. Okay, but... Uh, I put but in there because that's how it could be translated. That's never a good thing. Like if someone says, hey, you're doing a great job, but, right, that's not good. Hey, you're doing really well in school, but I love you and I think we could be together forever, but, I mean, this is not good. So this, Barnabas just gave a ton of money to the church, but a man named Ananias together with his wife, so, uh, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So, so far, hey, we're the same deal here, right? Everybody's doing this. It's cool. Uh, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. So we're just glancing at some of the things that are involved in greed. To be greedy, you usually have to do it with other people. So he keeps money for himself, and he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it? And he tells you who's driving this decision. It's not the Lord. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Greed drives lies and have kept for yourself some of the money you didn't receive for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? He's saying, like, you can do whatever you want with your money. We don't have this mandate that says when you sell anything, it's got to come to the church. We don't have that mandate. In fact, that would be weird. Wouldn't it be weird if we just made these rules that said when you have money, you have to help people in the church? Instead, we trust the Holy Spirit opens doors for you to help people. So he says, you can spend it really any way you want. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Verse 4. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could do anything you want. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And this is the most um, obvious statement in all of Scripture. And a great fear seized all who heard what happened. You want to talk about awkward offering, right? Just imagine, like, the plate. you're hanging out with somebody. We just said hello to some of the people you're sitting next to. You're, you're next to Rick, and, like, Rick puts an offering in, and then as it, it leaves his hand, he dies. When you'd be like, hey, can you send that back? I, I, we meant to put two checks in. Let me just, like, uh, let me just write another one in there. 
like, how weird is that? Like, what, what is it that bothers you so much about this? You know the story. Then the young men, it always gets dumped on the interns. The young men, in the, <laughs> just imagine if you're ushering this day, right? You're like, yeah, I'll hold on to service folders. Like, oh, yeah, can you bury that dead body? Awesome. So the young men came forward. They wrap up his body. They carry him out, bury him. Three hours later, his wife has no idea what happened, and Peter says, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She says, yes, that's the price, Peter said to her. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. They come pick her up, and imagine a great fear spreads between the whole church. Why does this bother you? It bothers me. Because you, you have to reconcile two things. Either one, that God says, if I don't give enough, I die. That's not a real awesome situation to be in, is it? The other one is that says, haven't we on some level done something similar? Like, when we talk about our own offerings and we say, this is what I want to do for the Lord. I mean, maybe different percentages and things like that. But all of us have some level have reluctantly given to the Lord. All of us have been in a situation where you say, okay, I want to give, but right now I could really use this. Every one of us have been in a very similar situation, and somehow we're still here. Does that make sense? It makes sense only on this level, and then we're, um, I got one more point. And when pastors say they have one more point, that, you know what that means? Nothing. So, the, um, it only makes sense in that the Holy Spirit does not want your money. The Holy Spirit does not need your money. What does the Holy Spirit want? And we talked about it. The Holy Spirit wants your heart. Their time of grace is cut short, which is tragic. But the Holy Spirit wants your heart to say, I want you to honor and love me. And so you, we, we're, we're stuck in this point. We're stuck in this point that says, God, what do you want from me? If people are willing to if they're going to die, if you don't want my money, if that's not the deal, if, what do you want from me exactly? It, what does God want from you? You know the difference between Christianity and religion? Every religion on the whole planet says, um, I want you to do this for God. God says, I want your money. I want your stuff. I want your devotion. I want your prayers. That's what I want. What does God want from you? God says, I want your sin. This is the kind of relationship and the kind of God we have. We don't have some conniving God that is always taking from us. We have a God that gives. We have a God that says, whatever sin you have, I want you to bring it to me. Whatever thing is holding you back because I want a relationship with you and you cannot have a relationship with me unless, if there's sin there. So give me your sin so I can dump them on myself. Give me all the bad things you can. I'll dump them on my son and he'll go to the cross after living a perfect life so that I can give you life and assurance and eternal life and joy and peace. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart, though. So he says, give me your sin, and I'll give you these amazing things. That's grace. And it's something that we can't even get our mind around. And it just changes, I think, a little bit of how we look at our money. So God gives to you money. He gives you family and blessings and work. And he says, I want some of that. I want some of that money to be part of my mission. I want you to come along with the greatest mission ever known. Because there's a whole world of people out there, right, that still have sin, that they haven't given up to Jesus. 
There's a whole world of people that don't know the peace and the joy and the assurance and eternal life that you know. There's a whole people that look at you and say, I want what you have. So we use money because we love 